Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford. I'm so excited about today's guest. We have Teresa Roden, who is the iTry founder and chief visionary officer. I love the CVO title she has here. And on today's episode, we're talking not just about the importance of getting young girls into endurance sport, or at least introducing them to the idea that endurance sports exists, uh, which Obviously, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know is a cause near and dear to my heart. Uh, but we're also talking about just the ins and outs of starting a nonprofit, what exactly a nonprofit even means, and really the steps that, uh, you know, Teresa had to take along the way, things she wishes she knew, uh, things that she had to learn the hard way, uh, just kind of all of the the ins and outs. And I think, you know, a lot of us really dream of doing something like this where we're starting this really great program or foundation or like we said, nonprofit, you know, we had Kelly Brush Foundation's executive director Edie Perkins on a couple weeks ago and kind of got a taste of what the foundation kind of aspect looks like. Nonprofits are a little bit different. You might kind of think about them interchangeably, but there actually is a whole lot of nuance involved. And I think it's just fascinating. I think what I really respected about Teresa, though, is she really jumped on this idea way back in 2010 and didn't think that it had to start huge in order to be a success, right? Like she started with eight girls in the original program. She was driving around herself to borrow bikes. Uh, You know, they're getting stored in like a friend's basement, just very, very grassroots. And I think that's something that we, uh, we often overlook when we have these sort of big ideas, especially when we see on social media people doing these huge projects that seem you know, so grandiose and we want to be just like them and we want to make these this big splash just like, you know, just like that person over there is doing. But really, I think the biggest change can come from just starting with these small, realistic, you know, by the seat of our pants kind of things that can then, you know, then we can figure it out in post. We can figure out, okay, this program works. Now, how do we go about making it a nonprofit? How do we go about making it bigger? How do we go about getting the right people involved? But let's first try and just see if we can get a couple girls out and doing a triathlon. So really respect her for that strategy. And I mean, it's done real well because now she's, you know, seen hundreds of girls go through the program. Uh, All of them have become mentors to other younger girls, and it's just such a cool concept. So hopefully you enjoy this episode and you get a lot out of it. I know I made notes the whole time I went back and listened to this again before I'm even recording this intro. I found it just so, so helpful. So enjoy this chat with Teresa. All right, Teresa, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Awesome. Me too, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Now, I feel like I just want to let you just sort of explain how you came to iTry and how you how you started it. So give us sort of the background, because obviously this is going to be both a sport and business bio, because you really can't start something like this without a background in both of those things. So how did <laughs> well, you end up here? Or or maybe after you hear the story, is that that will not be so true. <laughs> All right. So um Basically, my 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 story is that I was never an athlete. That um, gym class and anything that that had to do with sport, I felt you know that was not in my wheelhouse. And so it wasn't until I was in my 30s and happened to be on the beach in Block Island, Rhode Island, and saw these crazy lunatic people who were running down the beach and they have numbers written on their arm in Sharpie and they're 
jumping over the sandcastles and avoiding the kids running back and forth to the water. And the beach just went nuts and everybody's cheering. And I turned to my friend and I'm like, what is this? And he goes, oh, it's the Block Island Triathlon. And I said, what is that? And he explained it. And for some crazy reason, I said to myself, all right, next year, I'm going to be one of these crazy lunatics. So I came home, I told, um, I was in a book club at the time, and I told some friends, and they said, wow, that's a great idea. Let's do that together. And so we ended up um, about five or six moms. Some of them had done marathon before, you know, all of them were in much better shape than I was at this point. We just decided, let's do it. We Googled at the point, at that point, how to do a triathlon and, and literally jumped into the deep end of the pool without any idea of what, what we were in for. And uh, that period of my life turned out to be the most transformative period that I've ever experienced. So I went from somebody with a really negative mindset who had been, you know, for her whole life, um, my inner critic was was an inner bully. And I let myself speak to myself as many of us do in ways that I wouldn't allow my worst enemy to treat me. And what I quickly realized is there was no way I was going to make it to the finish line of that that race if that's was how I was, you know, coaching myself and, and talking to myself. And so I, you know, changed that and changed my inner dialogue. And for the first time in my life, I was actually kind to myself. At the same time, um, you know, I was learning about the power of visualization and positive affirmations and using all of those skills to get me to this finish line. Um, I'll never forget, I walked into the, um, the locker room at the Y and and felt like I, I belonged there for the first time, right? Where I never felt like I belonged anywhere in, in any situation where there were people who were, you know, athletes. And I never felt that way. So fast forward, um, you know, all these months went by, the race came and uh, we all, you know, we all showed up. It turned out we, we ended up bringing like 20 people, women brought their husbands and it was amazing. The, the experience of that first race, as you know, so many people can attribute that first race. I, I think the t-shirt the was this disgusting yellow thing that I swear I want to be buried in. I might, you know, like it was my proudest moment that I, you know, I crossed that finish line and it was just, you know, coming, leaving that old self behind and just, it was amazing. But after, after that, you know, first race and coming home, what I realized was as great as the finish line was, it was truly the journey from that first moment of setting that goal and every step of the way, the camaraderie with the other women, what I learned about myself and my strength and my resilience and that I was much stronger than I ever believed that I was, that that, that was what really was the, the, main, the main thing that came out of all of this. So I went on to do a ton of different races after that. And, and my daughter, who was like five at the time that I did this, she would come to every race and she, you know, all, you know, was really supportive and it was really fun. Um, and as she was getting older and was about to go into middle school, I was started reflecting on what a difficult time of life that is for, you know, for, for most women and girls you know, you're going through puberty, you're trying to figure out who you are in the world. And, you know, it's a, it's compared to, to, to what I had when I, when I grew up this generation or her generation at that point, it, social media was just coming into to play. And it, it was, it's, it was just a daunting thing that I, that I was 
knowing that she was going to face. And I thought to myself, if I had learned all of this at her age, instead of waiting until I was in my thirties, what a difference. So that's where the idea for I try came from, right? What if we took a group of girls who didn't necessarily believe that they were athletes, who this would be a really big goal to do something as big as a triathlon, um, girls who may be struggling with self-esteem issues or body issues or problems at home. And what if we brought them together and gave them all of the tools, the training, the transportation, the coaching and the love and support that they would need to do this, um, reach this goal. I love that. Yeah. I went to her school. They, they decided, you know, let's give it a try. And that's kind of how, how this all came about. Oh my gosh. So many things out of that. I mean, first of all, if you're a race organizer listening to this, could you please make good shirts? Like (laughs) why must they always be the worst color possible? It's like they've emailed the shirt companies. They're like, seriously, whatever your worst seller is, we'll just take all of your back stock. So true. Please give us good colors. That's all I'm asking. (laughs) Now, I love that you isolated this mental component and the self-talk stuff. Was there, was there something you were like listening to or reading or like what got you down that path? Cause I think there's a lot of people that get into athletics for quite a while before they realize that this like nagging voice is back there and like kind of messing with them. Yeah. So it was, you know, Around that time, that's when the movie The Secret came out. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar, but but that is all about, you know, how your thoughts create your reality. And I was, you know, I was doing that and a lot of a lot of reading. Vis- the visualization piece is a big part part of that. And it's funny because, you know, and and so Louise Hay, if anybody um, has ever read any of her stuff, it's it's phenomenal. And it just it's just that that the power of our thoughts and our words are are just so huge that we use them you know like a, an affirmation can be positive or negative either either way and so why should i waste the time on these negative affirmations if the positive if there's a chance that the positive is going to have a you know positive change in my life so i really it just it works so well with athleticism and training because you know we all know, right? You go out for a run and it's hard. And the minute you start saying, oh, I hate this. I can't do this. I don't, I want to stop. That voice gets louder and louder. And I know I give into it, but the voice inside that says, okay, you got this just a little further. See that mailbox up there. You just get all, that's all you got to do. Just it's, it's co- in that inner coach and turn your inner critic into an inner coach and it changes everything. Ooh, I love that. Okay. Now you have this next hurdle here where you're, you know, you're at your daughter's school and you're going to kick off this one program. How does it go from this, like this program to boom, you have this nonprofit that's doing this. (laughs) I imagine there's a whole lot of visualization involved here Uh, too. Uh, Hopefully got to think those skills translate very nicely. (laughs) I always love using sport actually as like sort of your sandbox for like honing those mental skills. Cause it's such an obvious, like example of how we're using the mental skills, but then it applies to everything else. Like there's a reason all of like the productivity experts always talk about, you know, if you're running a marathon or you're weightlifting as their example, and I'm like, oh my God, please stop talking about that. Give me an actual business case example right. because I'm getting sick of hearing. Them. <laughs> I got I'm those. <laughs> Good on that. Yeah. How do I apply this to get hit like hitting a deadline? Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think I'll back up for a second and just say that I, I had no experience managing anything. I, I'm a, I, I 
you know, my education, my, my degree is in early childhood and uh, elementary education, which, which I think prepares you for most things in life. But um, so I, so that's my early career. I taught preschool and kindergarten until my daughter was born. And then you for my, literally anything, nothing everything. will phase you after that. Yep. yep. And then um, when my daughter was born, my husband and I started a boating and yachting magazine. So I was kind of on the production end of that editing and picking photographs and, you know, very creative, but not, um, <laughs> not anything managerial. So when it basically, it was an idea for I try, I never I, I, I honestly, in my mind, um, it was going to be a one time deal, what uh, what if and and really, it came to me sort of in a whole, it just kind of came to me, the idea. And it was almost like it should be a documentary, right? A, a, a what if, and and we actually did have a couple people filming the the whole, that whole first season. Don't ask me where that footage is right now. That's a whole other <laughs> thing, but uh, it will turn up when the time is right. So, Ooh, okay. Remind me to come back to that point, because that's an interesting like yes. concept here. Yes. So, um, naivety is key. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I truly, I did not set out for this to become a nonprofit. That was not the motivation. It was something inside of me was saying, you just, you have to do this. And, and literally I sat in the library in our local library and the curriculum, which, it, you know, it, the way, the way it's set up, it's, it's three parts. So we have a self-esteem curriculum that we do with each each of our groups once a week. And that's all, you know, social emotional learning and, and um, you know, all of the things that that I did. So all of those positive affirmations and self-talk and visualization and self-care and all of meditation, all of that stuff is in that curriculum that literally I wrote it in about three days in the, in the library. It was, it was definitely just kind of a download. This had to come and it had to be here on the planet. I knew, I knew that I didn't know how, I didn't know why I didn't know exactly, you know, how it would work, but I knew this was supposed to happen. So, um, as far as how it became a successful nonprofit, it was really just kind of by chance. So, so the school said, yes, I mean, we didn't even have insurance. We didn't have it. It's always blows my mind that they said, yes, it's funny because the one question they asked me, they didn't ask, do you have insurance? What, you know, do you have qualifications? Do you, who are, who are your staff? You know, who's going to be your coaches? No, they asked, well, this is great, but what about the boys? That was the question I got. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. These these oh, poor yeah. young men with so few resources pushing them towards sport, you know? Yeah. It's yep. tough. Yeah. So so what 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 I found was that everything sort of like that first season was once they said yes, it seemed like everything fell into place. So um our local YMCA they, their executive director was um, just this man who basically took me under his wing. He showed me how to do a budget in Excel. I didn't know what a budget was. You know, he, he just, he did, he did so much for us and he let, we were able to use the facilities for this program for free 
and to this day, it's still grandfathered in that way. And it's, it's just, it's pretty miraculous. And so we were able to use their insurance and, and things, things just kind of magically worked out. And, and to the point where I always tell this one story that, um, you know, we had no money myself personally, we, we, it was not a great time to, to do a volunteer job. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, we were getting to the point where we needed to get them on bikes and, um, I was, you know, on Facebook saying, we're going to get on bikes on this week. And does anybody have a bike we can borrow or, or, you know, so I'm driving around and I'm picking up bikes and I'm picking up helmets and I get them all to the school. And my, um, we had one, one coach who was, who, who is now, her name is Sharon McCobb. She's, she's now our athletic director, but she, she was running the, the athletic training of the program, the rest I was doing. And she, um, she showed up for that bike day and she goes, do we have enough? And I go, I have no idea. I mean, I was, I'm literally putting them out. And as the girls came out to the bike rack, it was, I always say it was like loaves and fishes. It was exactly the right number of bikes, exactly the right number of helmets. And it was moments like that. There were a few through that season. That was just such an affirmation to me. It's all going to work out. Just keep going. It was like one one stepping stone would appear and then you do that and then the next would appear and the next and it just just fell into place. And that's pretty much been how how we've gotten to where we are now. Miracle after miracle. I love that. And I think so many of the people I talk to on this show, that's like this thread that kind of goes throughout is this idea of the next best action. Like you obviously you kind of want to have like this larger scale like plan and vision and you know, kind of your hope for the future. And it's not bad to make a plan. Don't get me wrong. But I think, yeah, on the granular level, it is that like, what's the next best action? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And just keep going like that versus trying to like, guess yourself 10 steps ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. And go with your gut. I I always say, you know, like, my, my gut knew what to do in in most situations. and, And when I didn't know, I would reach out. And that's, that's number two is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, do your research, find out who else is, is doing similar work and reach out. So I reached out really early on to Molly Barker, who is the founder of Girls on the Run, which is, you know, very similar, but, but different. They, they do 5Ks, we do triathlon, triathlon, but she was a triathlete and she was so generous with her time and her, um, information and guidance. And she's been a mentor to me all along. So I would any anybody who who's thinking about doing something like this, reach out because nine times out of 10 people like me, we get such joy in sharing what we've learned along the way with somebody who's just coming up. And it's exciting. It's it's always exciting to hear that that, you know, that new enthusiasm that somebody has. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think even when you were talking about the YMCA there, I think there's always this like assumption that we have to build every single thing from the ground up. Like we're going to start at zero and we're going to have to do every tiny thing by ourselves. But, you know, that one conversation, like, boom, now you have the insurance, you have the facilities, you have like all of the stuff because you were willing to, to reach out and actually talk to similar organizations and organizations that had stuff that you could use. Yes. I think- we do fall into a bit of a scarcity mindset, like when we're first starting something out, because I think we're like afraid to ask people 
that are doing similar stuff because we're afraid that like, Ooh, like, I don't want them to think that I'm like copying them or stepping on their toes or doing like, which is such a silly thing because I mean, my God, how many organizations do we need to get girls in sport? More of them is the answer. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think the more we collaborate and, and work in community, the better it is. And I, I think more and more people are coming to that realization and mm-hmm. you just you just have to put yourself out there and ask mm-hmm. absolutely and I mean endurance sports are such a good kind of yes. version of that because I mean you know in tri- like we've both been you know I've been in running and cycling and triathlon and you very well might have girls that come through I try but then they're like oh I love running and you're like great here's this girl's running organization or like oh hey here's this you know the grit Nika grit program if you're into mountain biking and you can kind of like funnel them in any yep. of the different directions and vice versa, you know, like, exactly. oh, this girl is in mountain biking and cross country running triathlon might be a good option. So I think, yeah, getting out of that like place of scarcity and coming to like, oh, this, this is great. The more options for girls, the better, the better we are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and how, how is your, how is your daughter? Is she racing or what's, what's her, you know, it's always so, so great. So yeah. So she, um, she, she raced, um, all three years. So I try the way it starts. It's, it's sixth grade is, is the program itself is sixth, seventh and eighth middle school. And so she started when I started it, she was in sixth grade. So her and her cohort did, did the first race. Um, and then what we do is, is any girl who wants to come back the next year, they're welcome to come back to it again, but this time the expectation is that you're a mentor to the the next generation of girls, and so they kind of take that very seriously. I and in the in, in the early years, most of the, those first girls did it all through middle school, continued um, on in high school. In high school, um, you can become a coach and and all of those things and and really volunteer, but um, so so my daughter you know did the three races. Um, our race in middle school. And then in high school, she, we would do bigger races and they would do them as relay teams. And she was always, um, she would be either the biker or the swimmer. She's like me, not the, the running's not her, her strong suit. And then, and then she stopped doing triathlon for, um, and it was so funny last year, she was actually out in Wyoming working at Grand Tetons. And for some reason she had it in her head. She had to do the block Island triathlon, the one that she had watched me do all those years before. So she actually flew in to do it. We met her over there and it was amazing. She, she just, you know, did that race and we reenacted the picture of, you know, there's a picture of her with a sign that says, go mom. And I have now go Abby. And, and I had so much fun because I didn't race it, but I went to, I knew all the spots and I was there to, to see her and ended up, you know, helping people with their chain and all. So it was, it was a great, great day. So she's, she's incredibly active, whether or not, you know, she does triathlon. I think, you know, she loves doing it, but she's doing so many, so many great things. And I think you and I would both agree that like, it's doing triathlon forever. Isn't the point. Like the point is, you know, finding activity, finding community, you know, finding like any, like any movement practice, really. Like, it doesn't matter if you're competing at at the Olympics or if you're just going for walks on the weekend and you're happy with that. Like, that's great. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, and you know what, for I would say 90% of the girls who sign up to do I try 
they're not super excited about doing a triathlon, right? They, they're just like, wow, this sounds fun. And, and they find community and, and support and love and all of those things. But after, after the fact, because we, you know, the, the second component is a fitness component. So we do triathlon training, we do empowerment, and we also do fitness, right? So that they can have a, a wide range of things that they participate in. So, um, you know, we do Zumba and yoga and kickboxing and self-defense and paddleboarding and all of these things, because not everybody is a bat and ball kid. Not everybody is an endurance athlete, but everybody can figure out that it feels good to move. And if that's what they take from it, if they never do another race or another sport, they're going to know because we actually talk about this in real time, right? So when you're not feeling so good, what's something you can do? Oh, I can dance in my room or I can call up a friend and take a walk. Or I really liked Wow. When I first started open water, water swimming with my goggles on and I saw the crabs on the bottom and I could get into the, wow, I live right next to the beach. This is going to be a game changer for me. So they, it, that's what they take is this, this, you know, lifelong sense of when I move, I feel good. If I'm not feeling good, Hey, that's in my toolbox. Now I can go move. And oh, love it. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, here's the deal. You wanna take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your inside tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, now getting into the practical side, starting a nonprofit. So going from like this one season with one school, with one group, one cohort to yeah. now we're a nonprofit. Like what what do you wish someone had like come in and told you before you started <laughs> going through the process of getting that organized? Well, it's probably the opposite because it's almost like if I if I knew then what I knew now, know <laughs> now I would have never done it, right? So I, I think that's almost okay. Like to just to, to like we said before, have the big the big vision, but start small and know that that's okay. So um, and and you know, there's a lot more information on the internet now than there was for me. There's when you start it's always good to start as um, everybody wants to form their own nonprofit, but that may not be the best way to do it. There's something called a fiscal sponsor that you can do at first. And that's what we did. So we found an organization that 
um, does does fiscal sponsorship. It wasn't another sports based organization. It was kind of a mental health or um, organization. And what that means is that you can raise money for your organization, but you don't have to have all of the the you know the costly things to do that. So we so that's what happened in our in our second year. We did that. We actually got some grant funding. So we went from year one having nothing but one donation of a thousand dollars, which actually covered the cost of their uniforms that they still wear today, the, the, that same design. But then in year two, it was so well received and successful that we did it again. We ended up getting thirty thousand dollars in grants, which was huge at the Women's Sports Foundation big, huge, $10,000, a local health organization, $10,000, and then a, a family foundation, $10,000. So those are all ways, um, you know, grants are really great for organizations that are starting, you know, starting out. And there's lots of resources there. It, most towns will have, you know, grants through their local government and, and um, community grants and family foundations are really good, good that. But so, so we were able to funnel that money through the um, fiscal sponsor and they would, we had our own bank account and things like that. But, but so that's a really good way to start. And then from there, if it's still working, then you go you know, and you have to have a lawyer do it. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it yourself. Get a really good, you know, some things you have to invest in. And I'm a, you know, I, I know everybody thinks with nonprofit that everything should be done for free, but I also know sometimes you get what you pay for. And when people are doing you a favor, then you're the last on the list. So yeah, yeah. legal and bookkeeping, your bookkeeper, you should pay from day one do not have it be a board member, find a really good accountant, and then use their bookkeeper to set you up from the very beginning that that's key. Um, and then you you have to, you know, file for what's called a 501c3. And that that allows you to then accept donations on on your own. I think, you know, part of the misnomer of nonprofit and in in the industry, it's, it's, we've we've been looking for a long time on a, on a way to change kind of change that name or change you know because it's 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 nonprofit only means that we don't pay taxes on the money the you know we're not selling anything and we're we're accepting donations we're giving tax receipts to people who donate and but but it doesn't mean that everybody does it for free so mm -hmm. people used to look at me and go like oh this is great you have all these volunteers and I said, we've never had volunteer coaches. We've paid our coaches since day one because you'll know, right? I don't care. I mean, now we're at, you know, 200 kids on bicycles. But even when we were eight kids on bicycles, I can't rely on volunteers who may or may not show up. I need people who I can depend on who are, you know, trained and licensed and and all of those things. So, so you know, salary and things like that are, are really important from, from day one. I think that's huge. And I think the temptation to cut corners with stuff like that, you have like a great cyclist in the area who's like really keen on it, but may not know how to coach probably doesn't have first aid certification or like a coaching license or anything like that. Like that stuff matters. It does. <laughs> and, and you know, what? and even, even your best, right. Even if they do it for a year or two as a volunteer, nobody can maintain that over time. Hmm. So it's, it's a sign of, you know, 
fiscal responsibility if you're build if you're building that in and maybe you know you, like i per, i personally didn't get paid in you know i probably it was 5 years until i got paid or paid something that that made sense but i always knew that i would i mean that was very very important that, mm-hmm. that everybody on staff is is paid No, I love that. And I mean, I think we see this all the time with organizations that start and they start really well for a couple of years, but it's primarily volunteer based and it's the parents who are volunteers. And the Mm -hmm. problem is kids get older. (laughs) You know, it's it's keeping the parents around after the kids are out of the program. Like that just doesn't happen. So you can have some, you know, parent like side coaches, but if you don't have like your main core group of like, like you say, athletic director and like, actual coaches, you're going to have a hard time. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So uh, you mentioned 200 bikes. So what, what is like the size and scope of, I try like these days, what's your grand master (laughs) plan for world domination here? (laughs) So we are in year 14. So it started in 2010, which is crazy because some of, you know, last year's girls were all born in 2010, which is so crazy. Um, We are now in 14, no, 13 different schools. So we are on the east end of Long Island right now from Montauk to Mastic in 13 public schools. We're working with uh, just shy of 200 girls this year, all in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And um, we are, our grand plan is to eventually scale and bring this nationwide and hopefully international. The, our actual the ITRI stands for Inspirational Triathlon Racing International. So talk about start small, but have that big vision. Even Love when it. we named it, it was that, you know, it was really those first girls who did it the first year who came back. Remember I said it was just going to be this one shot thing, but once it was over, they came back together with me and they said, this can't be over. We need to do this again. And I need to find that girl who's just like me, who's afraid to get on her bike. And I'm going to tell her she can do it. And that's what they did. And it grew the first year we had 10, the second year we had 24. The third year we went to our second school. I mean, it just, you know, when something's right, it's going to just multiply. And, and what happens is you attract the right people. Like I said, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's magic. And if you keep, it's basically about having, having that vision, keeping an open mind and an open heart and being, you know, open to trusting your gut, but also getting advice from people that, that you trust and attracting the right people that are going to help make this your dream a reality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now for you, like coming into this as, you know, a founder, owner, leader, whatever we want to call it is, uh, that's a big shift from, uh, you know, being at the front of the classroom with a bunch of four-year-olds. Uh, how, how has that been suddenly, you know, being in charge of yeah. hiring and salaries and all of that stuff, in addition to, you know, the, the mental component with the girls themselves? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, on the job training, I did, a, a you know, at least like the first couple of years, I was really trying to learn about like nonprofit governance and nonprofit leadership. And, you know, now there's whole, you can get a degree in that, but that's, that's really not what I was most interested in. Um, or probably second year I brought in, she started as a consultant um, around, around, you know, kind of the biz, business end of it. Um, 
coached me on fundraising, but really helped to set up a lot of the processes. She eventually came on staff and was our um, COO for many years. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's about knowing, staying in your lane, knowing what you're good at, and then finding the the other people to do to do the other pieces. You know, so yeah. maybe maybe you are a bookkeeper. And, and like, you got that right. Or, or maybe you are, you know, you know, HR, which all of a sudden becomes a thing once you have more than three employees, right. Which I didn't. So it's, it's, and, and looking for resources and that's where the partnerships with other organizations are really helpful too, because they, you don't have to rewrite the book on a lot of this. There's people Mm -hmm. who can, who can help you. Yeah. And I think that's the tricky thing with any business is that like, just the business side of it alone is a full-time job, but then there's the actual, like what you're doing. <laughs> right, right. So it's, you're really doing like two full-time jobs kind of all at the, all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, running, running this organization, that's super, you know, closely linked to your, your passions, what you enjoy doing, but is now also work. And also, you know, it's like, it's everything, right. It's, it's a hobby. It's this, it's yeah. like, how, uh, how do you, balance isn't even the right word I'm looking for, but there's no balance, right? No, there's no balance. (laughs) How do you combine all of that stuff and have it work out where you don't want to tear your hair out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I, if I have the answer to that, but I, you know, it just, it just becomes kind of part of part of your life. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've never had an office because we push into the schools and triathlons and outdoor sport. And so, you know, I used to joke that my car is my, my office. It's also been the mobile counseling unit when we're, you know, I have girls in the car. I don't know, you know, when you have kids, you realize that's when they open up. Right. And so I, you know, there's a lot of driving, driving kids around who don't have rides and, and, you know, they, they, share a lot with you. Those car rides are, are precious and the bike rack on the back and my kitchen table becomes my desk and, and whoever's, you know, um, right now I, I live alone, but when my, my husband was with me and, and my daughter was young, you know, it was all hands on deck We're we're putting the, the race bibs together. We're, you know, and it was in those early years, it's, it's, it's really fun. And you don't, you know, it's kind of like, you'll do it because it's your passion, you'll do it for 24 hours, seven days a week. And then, you know, as time goes on, you, you do have to find balance and that's where you have to kind of, um, turn it off at a certain point and live your life and, and make sure you have the resources around you so that it's not all, all on you. Mm -hmm. Love that. Now it sounds like a lot of the way that you're, you're marketing and kind of getting more girls into this is just that word of mouth. It's, you know, them, you know, younger girls seeing the older girls, the older girls telling the younger girls. So a lot of that, and this is a really strange question, but I warned you, I was going to ask it, but I grapple with it all the time personally, as I'm doing stuff like having, you know, I have the shred girls series, which is for middle grade girls. I am not a middle grade girl anymore. Haven't been one for a while. Uh, how do you go about like the, the actual like marketing advertising? Uh, like, how are you thinking about social media? Like, are you, are you thinking more towards reaching parents and teachers or are you thinking about reaching the girls themselves? How do you, how do you sort of work those? So social media wise, um, for, for us right now, it's, it's more about, um, marketing the organization and for fundraising use that that um our main like you know instagram and facebook 
that's that's pretty much where that lives. We are um, we actually have an intern this year who is an alum of ITRI and a film student. She's getting ready to go um, to graduate school, and we've tasked her with creating a TikTok that is is driven by the girls. So the girls are. Um, developing what this is going to be. They're providing the contact uh, content. We're giving them the agency to do that. And so that that's where they live. And so if it's, if it's, they're driving that, then it's cool. If we're, if I'm doing that, it's not cool. Right. I don't, I, like you said, I don't know. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know what they're into, but whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so the way we, we don't, the way we market to the girls is different because our program it's free so it's it's free and it's offered pretty much um in at least in our smaller schools to every girl in middle school so we go in we we work in partnership with the school our desire is to make sure that the girls who can benefit the most have the opportunity to to really um, participate so we work with the schools and we do a presentation to all the usually just the sixth grade in the schools we're in and we have girls um, who've done the program before talk about it and sort of get them excited and then at the end of that meeting they opt in or opt out that's really important for middle school, because if your mom's saying, I really want you to do this program and you're going to get fit and you're da, 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 they don't want any, any bit of it. But if they, oh, yeah. if, if another, if an older girl is like, this is so cool, you're going to love it. You're going to make really great friends. You're going to, you know, all of this stuff. And like, you get, you get these cool prizes, whatever. Then they go home and they're like, mom, you're not going to believe this, but I, I want to do this program and I'm going to do a triathlon. And their parents are like, what? So, so they're kind of, you know, self self opting in and that's really important. And then for girls that we know could really benefit but may not have, you know, indicated that they're super excited to do it, that's when the schools step in and try to try to nudge them along because we know how absolutely life-changing this has been for so many. It's, you know, the girl who who can who does not believe she can do it at all when the other side of that finish line she's a totally different person. And so that's, that's who we're really trying to capture in, in all of this. But we're lucky that we don't, you know, we're, we're not asking anybody to pay for it. So it's not something we, we're stuck on a certain amount of numbers we have to hit and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what I, I really love about this program and kind of coming back to your why, and as you were talking about like getting girls to opt in, I think what I love about these more individual sports is I think it lets girls who I'm going to say like myself, who definitely had no interest in being part of a team yeah. uh, back at that point yeah. or now, really, if I'm being totally honest, uh, still don't like a team sport. That's just me. Uh, I think it's great because it gives them an opportunity to be like, you can be athletic. You can identify as an athlete or not, and you can do this. Yeah. And like in a weird way, almost like no one really has to know. It's not like you have to wear your uniform to school and it's like a whole thing. Like yeah. you can kind of do this, like almost separate from your, your personality in school. If that's like a thing that you want yeah. or you can make it your personality, it's totally your call, but you're not like confining yourself to it. I think yeah. that's the, the bonus of individual sports. Well, you know, what's so interesting, like day one, when I had this idea, I was really researching. That's how I found girls on the run and all of these things. And what I, what I stumbled upon was some research that talked about the motivation, how motivation in sport is different with boys and girls, right? So boys, and this is, you know, this is very general. We know that this is not, not true for all, here, yeah. <laughs> right? But in general, boys are more about 
competition and winning and you know all like I'm all in because we're gonna win we're gonna win girls it's totally different it's about camaraderie about partnership the bus ride is their favorite part it's not it's win or lose they're together on the bus and that's really fun and so that's what we provide right it's mm -hmm. it's this opportunity to feel a, a part of something bigger than just themselves you know you can go out for a run by yourself that's great but you know this this whole camaraderie thing and and without the pressure of being on the team. What's also great is that we offer in sixth grade, at least here in New York, you cannot, the school sports don't start until seventh grade. So what happens is um, kids who would not necessarily try out for a team, after going through this program, we find that they do. And so, and their parents are shocked. I had a, a parent this year going, she, she went out, she's playing lacrosse. We never, I, we, I don't know who this kid is. She, she, she's running. She's, you know, it's, it's so, so they, they just go back into seventh grade as, you know, these, these like, oh, I just did that. I can do anything. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what ends up happening. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the kind of program I wish had been around when I was in school, because I think it would have been, it seems like it's the kind of program that would have shown me that it was okay to also be an athlete and like be all of the other aspects of my personality, but the way school sports were always presented, yeah. that wasn't an option. Like you were in school sports and that was your personality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think this gives you like that really nice intro into sport and sort of shows you that you can contain multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, and I did want to call out on your website. I was so impressed. You have a whole section that is for parents and it's in Spanish. So what, what prompted adding that to the site? I think that's such a, such a great thing, especially in, in the area in New York, New Jersey. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think in the, in the country now we are such a, you know, we're, we've always been right. A melting pot, but, um, what, what we have in, in, in our area is actually some of our, our school districts are 60 to 70% Latino families. And mm -hmm. so we, we just realized that we need to be able to reach them in their native language. And so, yeah, everything on our, our website for parents is translated in, you know, English and Spanish. And we've really, um, uh, last year, no, actually two years ago, we hired our first, um, her, her first language is Spanish. She's more comfortable in Spanish than English, but she's our first program leader who, who is, you know, completely Spanish speaking. And that's been game changing for us because, um, you know, culturally, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, our, our participants are new to the country and do not speak English and their families, you know, are, are new to the country and not, and they don't feel comfortable in, with, mm -hmm. with, a lot of, you know, a lot of things they don't understand. And so having, um, her name is DNI, having her be able to contact them and speak with them mom to mom sometimes about, you know, no, I know it's scary. I know when you sign the release, it says words like your, you know, your child may die. And I'm like, I know that is scary that, but any sport is going to make you sign that because that's the crazy culture we live in. But, you know, to be able to explain these things and to explain mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that everybody's trained and our, our we're going to take care of your child and, and trust us and all of that, that kind of stuff is, is huge. And, um, 
we've we've just had such a great success in that community, and the and they they're our best. What you know, like they the a parent whose child goes through it, the next year they're telling everybody they know, oh, you have to get your daughter to do this because they just see and they see the older. We had um another alum who was actually um, getting ready to go to law school, and she had been a, a new arrival to this country when she was about fifth grade. And she would go on Zoom and talk to these parents and they would have tears running down their face and just imagining that that could be their daughter someday. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's just it's it's really been just a wonderful, you know, a wonderful thing. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Oh, and that one thing I did want to come back to, actually, on the note of like this is like a no cost program for all of these girls. The bikes. I mean, we talked about that first year where you're running around town, borrowing, collecting, yeah. grabbing the bikes in your car. Are you still grabbing the bikes and putting them in your car? Like, how is this working? <laughs> no, no. So, so um, what we do now is we fundraise for for bikes. Um, we have some really great um, bike local bike shops who will um, partner with us to provide bikes at cost. So if we can, whatever their cost is, if we can fundraise for that amount, they'll get the bikes, put them together, deliver them for us. They've been incredible. Um, it's, it's, I always tell people that that's kind of an easy thing to fundraise for because people love tangible things. Girls, you know, we can't, the girl can't do it unless she has a bike. All right. The bike costs $600 here, you know, put, put a little name tag on it. And, and, you know, this one is in memory of my cousin, John or whatever, you know, whatever. So, um, so we've been able to build up a fleet and, and, you know, this year we have more girls, so we'll be, you know, doing some fundraising around getting more bikes, but they, we only use them for the, you know, from June through the race day. So they don't get so much use. And one of the great things at first we had a local landscaper I love him who, who gave us the basement of his little shop to keep them when we were at like 12 bikes and then 25 bikes. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, Teresa, you got, you got uh, 50 bikes in here. We can't do this anymore. And at that point, the school where the program started spring school had just built a new building and the base, they offered us the basement of this building. And so now our fleet of like 120 bikes, 130 bikes are all stored there. So they're out of the weather that, that alone would cost us, you know, a fortune if we had to have storage pods and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we bring in um, somebody to maintain the bikes. They do do a, you know, go through them um, at the beginning of the season, make sure everything's working. And we just replace, um, as necessary. We just kind of keep building a fleet when it's time to, you know, when some of them gets older, what we do is offer them at a really reduced rate to our participants so that they can buy them. So it kind of keeps them in the family. Ooh, I love that. That's great. And I think you, you just kind of casually made this great point that I think is super important for anyone in like the fundraising or like nonprofit space. The, the more you can ask for tangible things and present the like, this is what your $600 goes to. You get, yeah. and like you say, you get to put a label on it even. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a smart thing because I think a lot of organizations just immediately go for, you know, just donate here and that's what they do. Yeah. But I think when you can kind of put price tags on it, I was actually just talking to an adaptive athlete for this podcast yesterday and I had no idea what adaptive equipment costs. Sure. 
Yeah. And then she's telling me, you know, basic model hand cycle is like 2,500 and you can spend up to 25 grand on a like fancier adaptive hand cycle. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea of the cost of that stuff. And I think yeah. if that's written down and it's like, you know, get a mono ski or like, you know, donate a mono ski, donate a hand cycle. I think that makes it so much, so much easier to like represent it in your brain. Yeah. Yep. Like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I can donate the whole bike. Like, sure. So I love that. I think that's so smart. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, now that I've like sold everyone on donating a bike here, uh, how can people find out more, get involved, donate a bike, et cetera? Yep. That's easy way. Just go to our website. It's itrygirls.org. So I-T-R-I-G-I-R-L-S.org. And you can find out all the information on, on the organization, how to donate, how to get involved, how to be a volunteer, how to, and, and, I'd also say that I am um, completely available to anybody who has just an idea for something. I, I'm. It makes me so happy to hear the ideas that are going around right now in this space. And so, no, you know, if you have an idea that you want to run by me, I'm I'm more than willing to to listen and and give you guidance and advice whenever you need. I love it. I love it. Teresa, thank you so much for chatting. And this has been so much fun. And yeah, I'm so excited about everything you're doing. Oh, thanks so much, Molly. I love, I love the work you're doing and Feisty Me is just blowing it out of the, out of the park. So I'm so grateful to be part of this family. All right, let's be honest. The only downside about this episode is that now you're thinking, oh gosh, I can actually start this thing that I've been thinking about and maybe I don't need to go as big. Maybe I can start today with this much smaller version that can eventually grow. So I apologize for uh, having this episode that's really helping you get started in maybe a smaller scale way, but a more manageable way that you can actually get going on. So no more excuses. It's okay to start on the small size and then have those exponential growth things happen to you. Uh, so hopefully hopefully you got a ton out of this. I know, like I said, I made a ton of notes. I really enjoyed talking to Teresa. I love that she was so open about some of the stuff she wished she knew. And I think she was actually really open about the stuff that like she just figured out as it happened. And it's not that she went in knowing everything about everything. Some of it was just total happenstance, total oh gosh, this this came up and now I need to figure it out. Um, and having, you know, the people that she could rely on for that help was obviously super helpful. And, you know, building that great team around her. If you just go to the iTry site, which you absolutely should, you can check out, you know, she's grown it to a big board of directors and coaches and all this kind of stuff. And I love that she really makes sure that they're all out there, their faces are there, they're getting the credit they deserve for doing some really great work. All right. With that said, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely hit me up over on business.of.fitness on Instagram or at Molly J. Herford. I'd love to hear what you're up to. I'd love to hear if you have any questions or topics that you'd love to hear covered or businesses you really want to dive into. Uh, Definitely, definitely let me know. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.